As we get started this morning, I want to share some words of wisdom from probably one of the greatest business leaders of our time. Uh, This guy was the branch manager of Dunder Mifflin, Scranton's branch. Michael Scott, why are you guys laughing? This guy's wisdom is crazy. Here's what Michael Scott once said. He says, do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like this compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised. Now, if you follow along with Michael Scott's wisdom there, he's actually saying he likes to be liked by people, and it's really important to him, to the point of he wants to be praised by other people. And if we were to admit it, most of us, many of us, maybe all of us, we like to be liked. In fact, we're kind of taking it a step further. We care a lot about what people think about us. Almost to the point for some of us, this, this need and desire to be liked by other people can be an addiction that we battle. Harriet Breaker, a social and clinical psychologist in her book, The Disease to Please, wrote these words. She says, it's the avoidance of disapproval more than the attainment of approval that moves people-pleasing behaviors from compulsive habits to bona fide addiction. What she's talking about here is that pleasing others is similar to an addiction that, that some other person may face in their life. That, that we need people to like us. That we, we really do care about whether people like us or they don't like us. It's almost like this, this hit that we need. This adrenaline rush that comes from being liked. And so many people, we struggle with this addiction. And we have a name for that. We, we call this group of people, people pleasers. And so today we're finishing up this series called Chasing Carrots, and we're going to talk about chasing approval. But we're going to talk about those of us who are people pleasers, because I'm guessing in a room this size, and for those of us that are watching online, we've got a ton of us that struggle with pleasing people. And so what does this look like for us? How, how can we know if we're a people pleaser? So I want to, I'm going to give you a test, okay? I'm going to give you a test. There's three questions I'm going to ask you. And in your own mind, just kind of think through what these answers may be to these questions. Here's question number one to figure out whether you're a people pleaser or not. Question number one, do you obsess about what other people think about you? Do you obsess about what other people think about you? Let's start with something easy like social media. All right. You post a picture, you you put a a statement online, and, and you think like, I haven't looked this good in years. So I'm going to get a, good, a lot of good responses from this. You're like, man, this is like the smartest thing I've ever written in my life. I mean, people are just going to be swarming and giving me all kinds of positive feedback and encouragement and, and comments about what I posted. And so here's what we'll do. We'll put that post up on social media, and throughout the day, we're just going to monitor that post, right? But here's what scares us. When the traffic's light, when, when it seems non-existent, when at that point, we start asking questions. We're like, why isn't anyone liking my picture? Why doesn't anybody agree with what I wrote? But the big question we start to ask is, do do people like me? Does anyone like me? Another good example is texting. You text someone. And how often or how quickly do we expect that response? Just like that, right? We, We want that instantaneous response from this text we sent. And so we send a text. We wait for it. And it doesn't come for like three more minutes five more minutes, five more hours, maybe that whole day. And we start to wonder in our minds, is our relationship okay? 
I mean, why, why don't they respond? And I, I saw that they actually read it, right? You can see the read receipt, or, or even worse, I saw the little dots and the little quote thing there, and it was moving, and so they were going to respond, but nothing ever came from that. And so we begin to ask ourselves a question again. We're like, does this person, do they like me? Or let me give you a personal example. Being a pastor, uh, Sunday mornings, most Sunday mornings, I stand up here in, in front of you and I give a message, and I start to wonder sometimes, like, are people listening to what I'm saying? Or that joke I worked on for a long time, I, I got the point, I knew what I was going to say, and when I was going to say it, the punchline, nobody laughed. Why? Don't these people like me? Are they going to be mad at me at something I said? Are they going to leave because of something I said? Hey, you might be a people pleaser if you obsess about what people think about you. And so it's a question that we have to be willing to answer. Do we obsess about what other people think about us? The question number two to figure out if we're a people pleaser is, are you overly sensitive to criticism? Believe it or not, not all criticism is bad. Some may actually be good for you. But people pleasers, when criticism comes, when someone makes a suggestion, when we get difficult feedback, you hear it and you begin to fall apart. Or it begins to sit you, set you in this, this downward spiral because of what you heard from someone else. Because we're overly sensitive to that criticism. Uh, again, personal example here. I could get 100 positive encouraging comments from 100 different people here at The Journey. It's that one negative comment response about something, again, I said or something we did or, or something we didn't do. Man, that'll set me off, not just for like a couple of minutes, but like maybe for a few hours, maybe for a few days, a few weeks. But you're not any different. You may get a hundred different positive comments and be like, man, these are great and wonderful. But it's that one negative response that we receive and it kind of, again, it sets us off. Why? Because oftentimes we're overly sensitive to the criticism that we receive. So again, we have to answer that question, are you overly sensitive to criticism? Because if you are, you may be a people pleaser. But then here's the third question, do you have a hard time saying no? Do you have a hard time saying no? Um, we are almost, it feels like, back to normal. I mean, we literally, and I use the word literally, literally here, we literally were at zero at one point in time, right? And now we're back to not 60, it's like 125, 130 miles an hour. And, and we kind of experience what, ah, oh, a little breathing room, a little time, a little rest in a weird sort of way. But man, we are back to saying yes to everything that comes our way. All these things we know we should have been saying no to. All these things that when we were kind of chilling out a little bit, we were like, I'm going to say no to these things. But these questions come back and we're like, well, I'm going to say yes to everything. I'm not going to say no. And so we don't say no, and it affects our mental health, our physical health, our time with our family, our, our spiritual health, our, our time for ourselves. We keep saying yes to so much that's coming our way. We have a hard time saying no. But the question is why? Why can't we say no? Well, the truth is we're trying to avoid conflict. We don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. We, we want to keep the relationship on the track. And when we do that, there's a cost that's got to be paid. And the cost is paid is not for the person that we are trying to please. It's for us. 
It's a detriment to us and who we are. We're already overcommitted, and yet we continue to say yes to that event, to that kid's activity, to that committee, to that team, to this thing at work, this thing that's our hobby. We keep saying yes over and over again because we don't have the ability to say no. We do, but we choose not to. And so you might be a people pleaser if you have a hard time saying no. Do you have a hard time saying no? And so I want you to think about those three questions. And if you answered yes to even just one of those, chances are pretty good that you are a people pleaser. Now, if you are a people pleaser, I just want you to know you are in really good company. Because of all the, all the topics we've talked about over the past four weeks in this Chasing Carrots series, this is me. Uh, this topic gives me the hardest time of any other topic we've talked about. I have struggled with this in ministry and my personal life more than anything else. Now, thankfully, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Now, I'm not totally healed, but there's lessons that I have learned over the years, and, and I've come to this realization of being in ministry for so many years and just getting older, which usually helps. I'm not here to please people. I'm here to please God. And so over the next few moments, I just want to share with you what this looks like for us and how we kind of take those steps to move from being people pleasers to pleasing God. Because, again, I am pretty sure majority, if not almost every single person in this room, finds they're stuck in being people pleasers. But as we begin, let's kind of start from a, a good starting point here. Let's talk about people pleasers for a second because... From the outside, if you're a people pleaser, you look absolutely amazing. I mean, you look incredible to other people. You're selfless. You're always thinking about other people. You know, whatever's happening in your life, you're like, hey, that's not important. What about you? Let me spend time with you. Let me talk to you. Let me, let me hang out with you. Let me help you. Because if you're a people pleaser, you're, you're selfless. You're kind. Uh, people pleasers tend to be some of the nicest people you would ever want to be around. You're generous, mostly with your time. Again, you're like, hey, my life's not important. It's all about you. And so you give incredible time to pleasing other people. But if we think about those characteristics, they sound great. But if you were to look deep inside those of us who, who struggle with pleasing people, what we would find is we're desperately insecure. That for many of us, we believe approval equals our value in life. Think about that again. We believe that our approval equals our value in life. So what is it that drives us? What is this insecurity we have? Well, it's funny because it's something we've talked about, I think, almost every single week in this series. It's fear. If you're a people pleaser, there's this fear. And the fear is that we will not be liked. I love these words in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. It says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. The Hebrew word that's used here for trap, the translation of that, or one of the translations is a hook, specifically a hook that they would stick in the nose of an animal. They would tie a rope to that hook, and then they would pull that animal wherever they wanted that animal to go. And so it's the same thing for us. Here's the, this, this um, the proverb that's being written, and it says, fearing people is a dangerous trap. It's a dangerous hook. And if we're a people pleaser, what we do is we say, hey, there's this hook, 
in our nose, and on the end of it, there's this rope, and these people are pulling us wherever they want us to go. And so when we fear people, when we obsess over what they think of us, when we're sensitive to criticism, when we have a hard time, we're afraid to say no, what we've allowed happen, we've allowed this fear that we have of other people to pull us wherever they want us to go. And so we spend our days letting fear of not being liked, we spend our days letting that drive us, that we're looking for this approval of other people. But again, we're not called to please people. We're not called to be pulled to where people want to take us. We're called to please God. We're looking for this approval of who God is in our lives. And so we think about this, this fear of people as this dangerous trap. Look at the last part there. It says, but trusting the Lord means safety. That, that if we trust in God, that if we put our focus on God, if we are pleasing God, there's safety in that for our lives. We have to begin to learn to not be here to please people, but to please God. But still, there's pressure there. It's tough to do. And sometimes those outside forces, they, they win. There's a great example of this in the book of John, starting with in, uh, John chapter 12, starting with verse 37. It says this, it says, But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. I want you to think about what you're seeing there on the, on the screen. Jesus is doing these miracles. Lame are walking, blind are seeing, dead are coming back to life. And there's a group of people who are watching all this happen and they're like, it's not real. He's not who he says he is. He's not the son of God. He's not the Messiah we've been waiting for. Nope, I don't believe it at all. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes seeing is definitely believing. And so they see this, but it says that many people still didn't believe that he was this Messiah. But scoot on down to verse 42. It says, many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. And so we know there's this group of people who didn't believe in him, but then this says that many people did believe in him. They believed he was God's son. They believed he was this miracle worker. They believed he was this Messiah. And some of those people who believed were Jewish leaders. They were some of the Jewish religious leaders. The ones we talked about last week who followed these rules and laws and, and traditions. And so we read this verse, and we're thinking, this is amazing. So here's Jesus doing all these incredible things, and here are these leaders in this Jewish community, and they're religious leaders, and and they're starting to follow him. They believe in him, Uh, but not so fast. Look at the rest of verse 42 through 43. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Here is a group of people who listened to Jesus, who watched Jesus, who heard what he had to say, and they connected with his teachings, and they saw his miracles, and and they believed in who he was and what he was doing. Here are these leaders who said, hey, we, we actually believe Jesus who he says he is, that he is this Messiah, that he is the, the Son of God. But what went out? Go back and look at that. It wasn't Jesus. What went out was fear. This fear of being expelled. This this fear of being kicked out of their job. They were more interested in pleasing people than they were interested in following God. So as I I look at that and I, I think about that and I look at our own lives, it is such a reminder to me that we all have a disease called idolatry. 
that every single one of us, we really struggle with this disease. I mean, honestly, it's a sin, and we, we struggle with it. Last week, we talked about chasing perfection. And I talked about these Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. and was kind of like, hey, this is all you need. And the religious leaders jumped in, like, no, you need some more, God. And so they throw in like 613 other laws and rules and regulations. And again, depending on the synagogue, the rabbi you follow, there could be up to 2,000 different laws and rules. They're all connected back to these Ten Commandments. But God's like, no, the Ten are pretty good. You should just do these things, and you'll be okay. Well, if we go back and we look at those really good, okay commandments that, the G, that God gave us, the Ten Commandments, here's what the very first two say. Commandment number one says, you must not have any other God but me. And then commandment number two says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. So we have command number one there. It says, you shouldn't have any other gods before me. And then commandment number two just kind of comes in and, and reiterates that first one. It's like, you, you know, you shouldn't have any of these graven images, these images of different things that you're like here worshiping. We read that, we're thinking, I'm good. Like, I don't have any little Buddhas beside my bed. I don't have a little Zeus figurine up on a mantle in our fireplace. I, I'm good to go. But I think we actually miss the definition of idolatry. Because idolatry is really putting something else above God. It's putting anything else above God. And now we think about it that way, it really begins to change the way we view this, this word, idolatry, the this, this sin that, that we struggle with. And we go back to chapter 12 in John, verse 43, and it says, For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Here's this group of people that were trying to teach other people, this is how you're supposed to live your life. Here are these commands. They're trying to keep people from idolatry. They're trying not to be idolatrous themselves. And yet if we look at it, what was their idolatry? They were trying to please people more than they were trying to please God. They were chasing approval more than they were chasing after Jesus. So I think you and I have to ask ourselves, am I putting pleasing people above pleasing God? Because I'm guessing every single one of us have things in our life that we are putting above God. And for many of us, the thing that we're putting above God, the thing that we have this disease of idolatry toward, is in pleasing people. That pleasing people has become our idol. And so how do we, how do we move beyond that? How do we go from pleasing people to pleasing God? What's the cure to, to really help us through this disease to please how do we move from being people pleasers to pleasing God? Well, I want to go back and take those three questions that I asked, the ones that I you know, said, hey, why don't you answer these? And then I, I want to look at each one of those and give you something to think about that has helped me as I've worked through this, this idea of being a people pleaser. Here's the first thing. We, we talked about are, are you obsessive when it comes to what people think of you, if, if people like you or not. Here's the first thing I would say. Realize people aren't thinking about you all the time like you think. But God has thought about you from the beginning. American Academy of Pediatrics did a study not too long ago, the impact of social media on teenagers. And at the end of the study, they coined this new phrase they called Facebook depression. And they said, hey, it's this overexposure to social media. And so what they found is they were going through the study, they found that, that because of this overexposure to social media, that teenagers were feeling unaccepted. And if you've got teenagers and if they're on social media, you know this is real, right? Well, what has happened is this overexposure to social media has led to anxiety and depression, 
Uh, teenagers withdrawing from the relationships that were important to them at one point in time, and, and also this propensity to, to take risky behaviors in, in their life. Why? Well, teenagers want other teenagers to like them. And when that's not happening on social media, they, they feel like they're separated, they're not accepted, and, and they struggle with that. And oh, by the way, <laughs> that's not just teenagers. That's those of us that are adults, too. That when it comes to something like social media, we struggle so often with wanting to be liked. We're chasing approval. And when we don't feel accepted, hey, anxiety, depression, withdrawal, risky behaviors all become a part of who we are. But here's the deal. we got to realize that people aren't thinking about us as much as we think they're thinking about us. In fact, I love the way that Eleanor Roosevelt once put it. She said, you wouldn't worry so much about what others think about you if you realize how seldom they do. <laughs> Smart lady. We're really looking for acceptance. We, we want to be liked. We want to be a part of something. And so we obsess about what we think people are thinking about us. But I love how Roosevelt says this here. She says, people really aren't thinking about you even when you think they're thinking about you. You know who other people are thinking about when you think they're thinking about you? They're thinking about themselves. They don't care about you. They don't care about me. They're thinking about themselves. And so what if we started thinking about ourselves instead? What if I started thinking about me instead? Now, I know we're in a church setting and some of you are like, well, hold up a second. You're going to follow Jesus. You're not supposed to think about yourself. You're supposed to think about other people. That sounds selfish. Here's what I'm talking about. <coughs> what if I worried less? Excuse me. <coughs> what if I worried less? about what people think about me and I thought more about how God thinks about me <clears throat> that's why I love these words in Psalm 139 it says for you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb <clears throat> I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful I know that full well Sometimes we need to remind ourselves that each one of us, we're unique. That this identity that we have and who we are, it doesn't come from your coworkers. It doesn't come from your neighbor. It doesn't come from some celebrity. It doesn't come from your best friends. It doesn't come from your parents. It doesn't come from a teacher. It doesn't come from your spouse. It doesn't come from the person you're dating. It comes from God. That who we are comes from God. And here's the crazy part. God has known you and me since the moment we were conceived. God has known us from the very, very beginning. And yet we go out trying to seek affirmation for people who are thinking about themselves more than they're thinking about you. And yet we're so stuck on that and we forget about this God who loves us and cares about us and has been thinking about us from the beginning of our existence here on this earth. God is always thinking about you. And yet we spend our life trying to please people instead of trying to please God. We spend our life trying to please people who are thinking about themselves instead of trying to please God who knows us and loves us and has created us to be unique and to be who we are. And so if we obsess about other people liking us, maybe we have to begin by realizing people aren't thinking about us all the time like we think. But God has thought about us and knows us from the very beginning of our existence. Here's the second thing. I talked about criticism and how we can be overly sensitive to criticism. Here's what I would say with that. With that, have a plan in place to deal with criticism. 
you, you got to have some plan in place when it comes to criticism in our lives. And again, as I said at the very beginning, criticism can just really eat us alive. And so we have to have this plan in place. I'm going to give you three steps. Now, you can use this for any kind of criticism, even if you're not a people pleaser. But, uh, man, there's sort of some power here. here. Here's the first step. First step is listen to criticism. Now, again, not all criticism is, is healthy. Not all criticism is good. But, but not all criticism is not healthy or not good either. And so it may be that we just need to hear criticism. Maybe we need to hear this, this feedback that someone's trying to give us. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31, it says, If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. Now, if you're a people pleaser, you just kind of stop there. You're like, all right, well, I'll just listen to all this criticism. You, you can't stop there. You, you will become overly sensitive to criticism. The second step we have to take is we have to answer criticism. Uh, don't just listen to it, answer it. Uh, sometimes when people criticize us, and this is what I found in my life, um, they're missing information. That, that there's something that's missing in what they think they know. And uh, they may say, hey, you know, they don't say I'm going to criticize you, but as they're just telling me something, as they're responding to something, as I hear that criticism, I'm like, oh, they don't know all the information here. So let me kind of fill in those, those holes. But when you do that, especially if you're a people pleaser, um, just because you're trying to change that and not be a people pleaser doesn't mean you come at them, right? doesn't mean you come at them angry and mad and yell at them. Hey, I'm trying to not be a people pleaser anymore, so this is going to be my response to you. No, we still answer with a kind word. And we answer with a kind word not so they will like us, but so they can hear us and they can know where we're coming from. Again, if we go back to Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. And sometimes the best thing we can do is answer criticism with a kind word. And then lastly, dismiss criticism. You'll find over time that critics are always around us. Like they, they never go away. And if we're people pleasers, we have to learn to dismiss that criticism when it's not appropriate to the situation at hand. I look back at Jesus, and Jesus had critics in his life every single day. And his whole ministry, I can only imagine the conversations that were happening, the things that he was hearing, the things that were coming back to him, the feedback. And I can only imagine what that was like. But you know what Jesus did? He listened to it. He answered it. And so often he dismissed it. And the reason was pretty simple. Because he dismissed it because he was saying, hey, I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm not here to, to have you hear what you, you want to hear. I am here to please God. And if we're someone who's overly sensitive to criticism, we have to be able to learn to dismiss it, to move on, and to make sure that we don't linger on it. So again, have a plan in place when it comes to dealing with criticism so you don't get lost in it. But then there's that, that third piece there, this ability to say no. Um, it's pretty simple. We've got to put boundaries in place in your life, okay? We've got to put boundaries in place in our lives. Now, hear me out. Some of you, you're going to hear that, and here's what you're thinking. That's really good. In fact, I'm going to start saying no. And you know what? I've already figured it out. I'm going to start saying no to the church, all right? That's the first place I'm going to begin because, man, that's like one hour out of 168 during the week and, or two hours if I'm in a group, and that's just way too much. I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and say no to the church. 
I'll cut that out of my life, and I'm going to be so much happier, and there's my boundary. There's maybe five people here at the Journey Church who should say no more often, okay? Um, because they are involved in absolutely everything. But for most of us, you know, church is something we do on a Sunday morning or, or again, Sunday morning in a group or maybe help out when we do community events. But, but my experience is when we talk about boundaries and saying no, it's one of the first places people go. The people say, hey, I'm going to say no to the church. But the funny part is you keep doing everything else you are in your life. And in fact, here's what you say. You say, all right, well, I'm going to cut out these church things that are happening in my life, but I'm going to fill them back up with something else. Right? i, I got to fill up these 168 hours. So you know what? I'm going to do more kids' activities. I'm going to do more work at work. I'm going to do more business trips. I'm going to work longer hours. I'm going to spend more time on my hobbies and my fantasy football team. And I, I'm going to sleep in on Sunday mornings because I really need that sleep. And so we really kind of gear ourselves to saying, hey, I'm setting up these boundaries by not being involved in church as much, but you're just going to put some idol in its place. Why? Because that tends to be what we do. Then when we're setting boundaries, we set these boundaries that still aren't really healthy for us. And sometimes it's the church that takes the brunt of that. Maybe there are other things in your life you have to say no to. And maybe there are other places in your life that you've got to work to say, hey, this boundary is in place for me. Again, kind of bringing this back to, uh, to my experience here, because as I said, I'm recovering people pleaser. Um, some of you, you think that uh, my work is... One day a week, right? It is Sundays. I get up at like 6 o'clock, I eat breakfast, throw a little message together, get up here and do my thing. 12 o'clock, I'm done. Then I've got all these other hours throughout the week to play golf, to hang out, watch movies, do whatever else, okay? Um, and so for you, like Monday through Saturday is my time off. Well, it's kind of the reverse for me. Uh, my work week is actually Saturday through Thursday, I have had to set a boundary of not working one day a week, and that day of the week is, is Friday. Now, most of that is because my wife said, do you like being married? <laughs> I said, yes, I do. She's like, well, you're going to have to take a day off a week because, um, because it's important that we stay together. I was like, yeah, but it is important. So uh, Friday's my day off. And so I tell staff, I'm like, look, unless you chopped off a leg, um, you know, it's, it's really like the, the, the worst thing in the world. Please, please don't contact me on Fridays. Like, don't email me, don't text me, don't give me a phone call, don't stop by my house, don't, don't do any of that. I, I, I've got to take a day off. And so maybe for you, you text me or you call me or you shoot me an email on a Friday and you're like, why hasn't he responded? What's going on? Does he like me? It's like, maybe I do, maybe I don't. I'm not going to tell you what the answer is to that, but, <laughs> but I'm not going to answer you that day. Why? Because it's my day off. I need to breathe a little bit. I need to rest. I need to work out. I need to spend a lot of time with my wife since the kids are at school. We get to hang out. It's her day off too. And, and so I've got to make sure that that's an important part of my week. I've set that boundary. In, we've set that boundary in place together. Now, I have other boundaries. I'm not going to share all those with you right now. But for me, like Friday is such an important day for me to be able to say no. What is that for you? What are those boundaries that you need to set in your life? Because most of us have view, very few boundaries in place. We keep, keep saying yes over and over and over again. And we wonder why we're worn out. We wonder why we're tired. We wonder why our relationships are messy. Well, so often it's because we don't have these boundaries in place. 
And so often those boundaries aren't in place because we're people pleasers. We have to move and set these boundaries in place. We have to learn to say yes less and no more often. Because in the end, this isn't about pleasing the people. This is about pleasing God. I love these words from Paul in one of the letters he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. I I love these words because here's Paul. He's like, hey, our purpose and what we do, it's not to please people. It's not to please you. It's not to do things that are going to make you feel better. That's not why we exist. That's not why we are here. We're not here to please people. We are here to please and to praise God. And so we're going to focus all of our time and our effort to make sure that's exactly what we're doing. And yet for us, we get caught up in pleasing people. The question is, how many times have you gone out of your way to please people? I just want you to think about that. How many times have you done that? And how many times as you look back, what were the results of doing that? In the end, where did that get you? Because here's what I'm guessing. You looked and you said, hey, I want to please this person. I want their approval. I want their affirmation. I want them to like me. I don't want them to not like me. And so you put all this time and effort to pleasing them. In fact, again, you, you went out of your way. And you know what that brought you? More anxiety. It brought you more depression. It brought you more sleepless nights. It brought more tension to who you are. And so these outcomes that you were hoping for, that you were wanting, you desired, it never really happened. And yet what do we do? We keep chasing approval. We can't let go of that addiction that's there. As we said early on in this series, all we're doing is chasing the wind. We're chasing things in our life that are meaningless. See, our life is about pleasing God and not pleasing people. And you know those characteristics that I shared with you a little bit earlier about, about people who are uh, people pleasers, how they're not, or they're not selfish with their time, that they're kind, they're generous. When you and I fully follow Jesus, guess what? We're going to be those kind of people. But we're going to be healthy people because we're not here pleasing people. We're pleasing God. We will be more selfless. We'll be focused on other people, but we'll be doing it because we're pleasing God. And we'll be kind because we're pleasing God. And we'll be generous with our resources and our time and effort. Why? Because our focus is on God. It's not on pleasing people. When you and I, when we think about our lives, are we chasing approval from people? Are we chasing approval from God? Are we here trying to please people or are we here to please God? There's a big, huge difference. And if we're people pleasers, one of the best things we can do is to be recovering from being people pleasers as we try our best to fully please God. Throughout this series, and as we head into our communion time this morning, we've been talking about all these things that we've been chasing in our lives We've been chasing success and comfort and perfection. Again, we talked about chasing approval today. But these are things, as we've talked about in this whole series, those are things that really don't matter. 
And yet we spend so much time and so much of our effort in it. And God's like, hey, why don't you change that? Why don't you, why don't you chase after me? Why don't, you, why don't you follow Jesus? Why don't you make that the thing that you're pursuing in your life? If we could begin to live that kind of life, it would fully change us. It would transform us. It would transform the world we live in. But it begins with ourselves saying, hey, this is who I want to be. And the reason we do that is because of the love God has for us. That God said, hey, I love you so much. I've known you since the time you were conceived. I've known you for so long. I'm always thinking about you. I love you. I care about you. You don't need to chase after those things. What you need to do is follow Jesus.